Well, friends, over recent weeks, we've been listening to stories of people who encountered Jesus uh, based on John's Gospel. Today, we're hearing two stories. The first is Mary, the mother of Jesus. If we were going to sum up uh, what Mary experienced watching the brutal death of her firstborn son, I think the word is traumatised. We pick up the reading in John 19 from verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. Remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Friends, we'll now have a presentation song. Please remain seated. After that, there will be uh, the drama, followed by a reasonable pause just for you to reflect. How do I feel? My son is dead. Yesterday, I watched them mock him, flog him, spit on him, make him carry his own cross. But 
into his hands and feet. I watched them wrap him in linen and seal him in the tomb with that stone, shutting him alone in the dark. My son is dead. And for all the mercy God has shown, he might as well be dead too. And my son felt that. He was there, alone, exposed to all heaven and earth. My God, why have you forsaken me? He cried. Why have you forsaken me, God? This is not the God who sent an angel to pronounce my son's birth. Highly favoured, the angel called me, promising me a son with, with a throne and a kingdom, and he'd rule forever. But what did I care about kingdoms? When I, when I first held him in my arms, that was enough for me. This is not the God who favoured my, my cousin Elizabeth with a child after so many years of being barren. Blessed are you among women, she cried, when her child leapt with joy, when he recognised my child in my womb. Elizabeth and my soul sang to that God and my spirit rejoiced in him. And later, when my son first grabbed my finger and said his first word, Mama, I knew I was, I was truly blessed. This is not the God who sent hosts of angels to announce my son's birth to the shepherds. Those shepherds, some of them were just boys themselves, as wild as some of their sheep. Glory to God in the highest face. They said the angels sang, proclaiming the Saviour's been born. And when they told me this, I just treasured that in my heart. But not as much as I treasured my, my son's first laugh. This is not the God who sent Simeon and, and Anna to bless my baby in the temple. Nor the God who sent Magi with gifts to worship him. Yeah, how much greater gift when my son took his first step. 
that God who brought such joy, blessings, such gifts, how could he stand by yesterday? Where was he when they mocked him? How could he allow them to put nails through my son's hands and feet? And why would he ignore my son's cries? My son. I've lost my son. I suppose I did I did start losing him years ago and all the others joined him. So many others needed them, needed him. And they still need him. And you know, I saw even though I, I didn't really want to, that he was no longer only mine. No, actually, I, I think it began even earlier than that, about 20 years ago at the Passover. We lost him for three days, three of the longest days of my life. And we go and find him with the rabbis in the temple. And do you know what he said to me when we, we found him? He said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? My father's house. His father's house. Yeah, in many ways I lost him years ago. I wonder if he was ever mine. Did God cry when the angels sang, knowing that his only child's birth would end in such suffering? Does watching your son die hurt as much when you're divine? I suppose if I had listened closely all those years ago, I would have known it would end like this. <laughs> Simeon told me a sword would pierce my soul. And those gifts the Magi brought, gold for a king, yes. But incense for an offering and myrrh for a burial. My son is dead. God's son is dead. Well, friends, our second story gives us eyewitness testimony of Jesus' death. Two Jewish leaders, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus the Pharisee, carried out the Jewish burial rites for Jesus. I pick up our reading again in John 19. Now, now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. 
But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who, had, who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds or 34 kilograms, Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Sometimes it's easier staying in the shadows. It feels safer. You can hide your true thoughts and feelings if you keep them to yourself. That way others don't know and they can't reject you. And we have seen what can happen. Rejection can destroy a person. I'm a member of the Jewish Council. People know my reputation. I lead a good and upright life. And I too am a prominent Pharisee, a respected member of the Jewish council. But when I met Jesus, he challenged my thinking. He spoke as one who had authority. I watched him. There were signs, miracles. I met him face to face under the cover of darkness. It felt safer. He didn't dismiss me, but he listened to my questions as I grappled to understand the one who sat before me. He confronted my long-held beliefs, the traditions that formed the foundation of everything I stood on. Yet, he did it with kindness gentleness. His words, they illuminated something inside of me. But when it comes down to it, isn't faith something between, well it's a personal thing isn't it? Isn't it something between you and God? Nobody else's business? Keep it to yourself. It's safer that way. But he was so visible. His words of love and life 
he not only spoke of his connection with God, but with others too. Hmm. He connected with the very people we had kept at more than an arm's length. Well, for good reason, so we thought. The unclean, the sick, sinners, people of low repute, <laughs> tax collectors. Well, for them, well, this connection was life-changing. And here lies the dilemma. While maintaining a safe facade that is on the outside and staying in good books, in the good books with friends and other Jewish leaders, inside there is no peace as we wrestle with something much bigger. So... When the threads of our tradition were unravelling, our people, the Jewish council, sought to put an end to it. They deemed our ways needed to be preserved at all costs. Jesus needed to be stopped. Well, they searched the scriptures to see where they could expose him as a fraud. (laughs) Then with my heart beating wildly, I stepped out of the shadows just a little to try and get them to see some reason. Does um, our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he is doing, I asked? (laughs) They put me in my place. They were relentless. I did not agree with their actions and decisions to kill Jesus, to snuff out the light. But they wouldn't listen. Any words of reason fell on deaf and unyielding ears. They hung him on a cross to die. That's when I came out of the shadows. Suddenly I didn't care who knew about my devotion to Jesus. I asked Pilate if I could have his body. There were customs to follow. Sabbath was approaching. Well, my reputation had failed into insignificance. All I could do was think of him, of honouring him. Together we prepared his body with myrrh and aloes and spices, fit for a king. We wrapped him in linen cloth. Memories of Jesus replayed in our minds as we worked. His teachings, his laughter, his miracles, the healings. Didn't he just raise someone from the dead? And now his his body lay lifeless before us. His conversations, his investment of love and time into people from all walks of life. How could it possibly end like this? We gently placed Jesus' body in the garden, in a new tomb, hewn out of rock, that I had prepared for myself and my family, my gift to him. What if? What if people saw us and found out about what we did in the days that followed? We just didn't care anymore. Their derisive looks, their judgmental slides seemed, well, trivial, meaningless. 
It's ironic, really. Our devotion and love for Jesus was now exposed out of the shadows and into the open, into the light, as it were. But it seemed as if we were too late. Darkness enveloped us as we left the garden that night. Jesus was dead. The very man whose words breathed life was dead. It it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. Well, friends, as we've done over recent uh, Sundays, a question for you to talk over and consider with a friendly person near you. Given they were once secretive about following Jesus, what do you think moved Joseph and Nicodemus to carry out his burial? What brought that change or gave them boldness to do that? Explore that question with a friendly person or persons near you. Friends, what's the hardest task you've ever completed? Perhaps uh, building a house or restoring a rusted out motor vehicle? Perhaps writing an academic thesis or finishing off a series of exams to get into whatever you wanted to get into. Maybe after an accident going through a long period of rehab or even giving birth to a baby. Do you remember the relief when you'd finally got the thing done? You could go, ah, at last, it is finished. You can rejoice, you can celebrate with family or friends. Friends, in his gospel account, Mark says that Jesus um, megaphoned his final word. That's the Greek word, that's megaphone. And John tells us what the word is, just one word in Greek, and it is tetelestai, which means it is finished. Tetelestai is what Jesus shouts from the cross. Let's shout it together. Tetelestai. Let's shout it together with a fist pump. Tetelestai. See, you even just get a sense of... You know. Now, Jesus didn't... His, his death, he didn't go out with a little whimper. Instead, Jesus shouts Tetelestai as a victory, just like a marathon runner crossing the finishing line in first place. It was a cry of victory, not just for Jesus, but for you and for me and for every person on the planet. Friends, I want to explain three aspects of this word to Telestai. And the first is this mission accomplished. Friends, Jesus' death wasn't an accident or an act of random chance. What happened on Good Friday was the fulfilment of an unfolding plan that God had been putting into place since Adam and Eve rejected God in the Garden of Eden and were evicted. Jesus came to turn the curse of death and everything that separates us from God back into life and blessing. A bunch of times Jesus told his disciples that as the Son of Man, he must suffer and die, and then on the third day, what? Rise to life again. One example, John 3. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. It is must. It is God's plan that he be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So to believe in the death of Jesus actually brings us into eternal life. Jesus' suffering and death was the completion of God's plan to rescue a broken humanity from sin and death and destruction so we could be safe in his care forever. When Jesus had breathed his... Just before Jesus breathed his last, he shouts to Telestai to say... My work is done. All the work the Father has given me is completed. Mission accomplished. Amen? Second one, the job's done. Let me take you to the temple. The high priest, morning and night, would supervise the sacrifice of a perfect lamb. That perfect lamb, its blood was poured onto the altar. And when the sacrifice was completed... The high priest would say, it is finished. And then he could go and sit down. The job was done. Friends, the writer of Hebrews talks of Jesus as our great high priest. Let me ask you a question. What is the sacrifice that Jesus actually offers? Himself. His perfect life and his innocent blood. Shed for the sins of the world. When Jesus said to Telestai, the tense of the word there means that it is finished and it has been finished forever. Once and for all, Jesus has done everything that needed to be done to connect us back to God. And afterwards, that's why Jesus could sit down at the right hand of the Father because to tell us die, the job's done. Amen? Third one. Paid in full. In the ancient world, if you owed a debt to someone, uh, when the debt had been completely paid, they would write or stamp on the invoice to tell us die, paid in full. The same word was used in the prison system when a prisoner had served his time, the jailer would take his record sheet which had on it the charge and the sentence and he would write or stamp on it to die, paid in full. What did this mean for the prisoner? It meant he could walk it meant that he could walk out of the jail now as a free person. Could you imagine the relief and satisfaction of that? Friends, that's what it is finished means for us. Jesus has paid in full for your sin and your guilt and your shame so you can be forgiven, so you can be released from all the baggage and bondage you've been carrying around and so you can be set free to do life with God forever. Through the cross of Christ, God offers you a full forgiveness and favour as his precious, loved and forgiven child. That's the deal. Because of what Jesus has done, completed, God offers us this gift 
as a perfect and completed task. There's no more you need to do. You are free. Let me give you some examples of how it is finished. All that rubbish that got between us and God. A guilty conscience. It is finished. A life wondering what God is like. It is finished. The fear and shame that keeps us running and hiding from God. It's finished. The fear of death and what comes next. It is finished. A life ruled by selfish ambition or unchecked desires. It is finished. The anguish of not knowing whether things are right between me and God. It's finished. The burden of thinking that years ago I did something so terrible that God could never forgive it. It's finished. The guilt over a broken marriage, divorce and fractured family. It's finished. The shame of that abortion or that affair or that premarital fling. It's finished. You know why it's finished? Because Jesus said it's finished. I've paid. I've completed. I've taken everything that cuts you off from God so you can have life with him forever. There's nothing more you can do. It comes to you as a perfect, completed gift. And I just want you to receive the gift and hang on to that gift and run with that gift so you and I can be together forever. That's the deal. And that's what's good about Good Friday. Friends, let's shout this word of victory as our own this morning. Let's shout it together. To Telestine. Now stand up. Okay, fist pump in the air. One, two, three. To Telestai. Amen. Let's in gratitude pray the prayer that Jesus actually allows us to pray now that his Father is our Father. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. We sing, we sing last word because Jesus' death is not the last word.